we start? Oh, we're started already. Ha <laughs> ha! Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Best Concordia, a new podcast uh, happening here at Concordia University in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, in the Ethnography Lab. Uh, and I am your host, Johnny B., your hostess with the mostest. And I'm super excited because this is our first episode of the podcast. This is amazing. I'm so excited that we have finally got this off the ground and I'm coming to you. I'm in your ear. This is amazing. So I just wanted to tell you a little bit about the podcast before we launch into the meat and potatoes here. Um, So the podcast really came about, it's happening here in the Ethnography Lab in conjunction with them. Um, It's myself and my two producers, Anne-Marie Turcotte and Chris Millet, and we are all students in the Sociology and Anthropology Department here at Concordia. And really what we want to do with this podcast is... um, really sort of, because it's in the ethnography, get a sense of ethnographers and grad students and their work. So in some way, we're trying to turn the lens back on ourselves and to shine a light on the people who are doing the research. So we are taking sort of a a more human approach to academia and grad students and grad student life, um, kind of a backstage pass to student research. And really, what we're trying to do is demystify the ivory tower. We want this podcast to be fun. It's not stuffy. It's not uptight. It's just a good time and a casual chat about research and student life. So really how it's going to happen is this is going to be our first season. And what we're going to do is we're going to follow this group of people, this group of students, get to know them, find out about them and the work that they're doing, and, uh, and really get a sense of their stories. So, and I also have ulterior motives myself. Personally, um, I feel like a bit of a noob. I'm a master's student here in the program. And, uh, you know, part of my objective in coming to sociolo- the sociology department here at Concordia was that I felt like my sort of knowledge around theory and, and, and just sort of a- academia in general was a little bit lacking. So uh, the great thing about this podcast is that it's also going to be an educational journey for me as a researcher and as a student. So um, hopefully I will learn some things and hopefully you will learn those things along with me. And really, it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be for anybody who's interested in this world and these topics, and hopefully we'll all learn a thing or two together. So, and we are recording here in the Ethnography Lab, and I just want to say you might hear some voices in the background. The Ethnography Lab, it's like a big open space. It's a gorgeous room, lots of windows, and there are people working collaboratively in here all the time. So there may be background noise because it's a hub, and there's activity and and research and things happening all the time. So just if you hear something in the background, that's probably what you're hearing. Um, And I might turn to my producers every now and then and say, hi, Anne-Marie, or hi, Chris, and you might hear them in the background, too. So don't be alarmed if you hear them, because they're awesome, too. So we want to get them involved in this. Um, And if you want to participate, please reach out, comment, subscribe. We are on pretty much every social media channel you can imagine. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes. We're everywhere. It's Best Concordia, Best C, which, by the way, I just want to take a minute and explain the title of our podcast. It's kind of a nod to if you are in academia or you've gone to university, you've probably received an email at some point that has been signed, best blank, best Chris Millet, best Anne-Marie Turcotte, best Concordia. It's how we sign our, e- our so emails. It's so heartfelt. It's a really, yes, exactly. We're very earnest, heartfelt. We mean it. Best. We mean that best. Um, so, but we do mean that best. And also, um, you could shorten it to best, see, because this podcast, it's the best, see? Uh, so right now, we're going to get cracking with our very first interview. I'm so excited. I have... Ariana Solis and Elizabeth White, um, who are both PhD students uh, here at Concordia. Ariana is a PhD student uh, in the Social and Cultural Analysis Program here. She's an environmental sociologist. Um, and Elizabeth is in the interdisciplinary PhD, or HUMA. Is that correct? That is right. Yes. And what does HUMA stand for again? Humanities. Humanities. Mm-hmm. So it's a inter- new interdisciplinary program, and she is a new PhD student in that Incoming, program. Incoming, yes. Incoming. I so start in September. Starting in September, which is super exciting. Mm-hmm. Congratulations Thank you. on Thank you. being accepted into that program. Mm-hmm. So, And I have you both here because... Really, I want to sort of like start off by talking about this place that we're doing this podcast in, this ethnography lab, which I 
just said, you know, it's a beautiful, incredible space to be working in. Um, so can you guys just tell me what your roles are or have been in the Ethnography Lab so far? Maybe, Ariana, we'll start with you. Sure, yeah. So I was um, brought on last summer to start coordinating this. It was a vision um, that several faculty members had across several disciplines. So. Um, for example, Craig Hetherington from anthropology and Bart Simon from sociology, or Halpin from sociology, but we also have professors involved from geography, um, political science, history, engineering, um, a range of disciplines came together and, um, who do ethnography and who want to explore innovative ethnographic research. Right. So I was brought in, brought on as the first coordinator, which was a really exciting role for me because I'm kind of a methods nerd, as Anne-Marie and Chris know very well. <laughs> um, and I just, I like research methods as a way of exploring um, different forms of art, different forms of art-based research, and different ways of looking at social issues um, that are tricky to capture using conventional research methods. So um, different methods for exploring mobility uh, and what have you. Um, so it's been really interesting way to talk about the process of doing ethnography. Um, and so my role has really been to kind of set things, help set things up. Um, and luckily Liz was here to help take over for me um, mm -hmm. so I can start my field work soon. Right. Yeah. Because you were going to Mexico to start doing your field work. Exactly. So um, before we go further with the ethnography lab, I just want to ask you, because you're a methods nerd and you're into <laughs> like these like cool ways of doing, uh, of, of approaching your work, is there, are you doing sort of an inventive method for your field work? Several inventive methods, actually, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, but definitely not um, neglecting what we typically know as the tradition of ethnography. So engaged right. participant observation, um, in-depth interviews yeah. are still very much a part of what I'll be doing. But yeah, I do want to explore several inventive methods, drawing from sensory methods, um, cool. ma different ma um, object interviews, looking at the life history of objects. Um, Mobile interviews, for example, are something I'm going to be mobile working Mobile interviews, with. like you're moving and interviewing at exactly, the same time? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I still have to figure out exactly how I'm going to do all of this, but yeah. yeah. Very cool. And uh, do you feel like the Ethnography Lab is like a, like offering you support in, in terms of that stuff with your own work, or is it kind of... Well, definitely. I think the lab was definitely created so graduate students could get together and have a space to talk about methods and collaborate. And um, so, for example, our Field Note Museum, the Living Gallery that we've created, has been a really nice way to discuss the process of doing field work. So we've put um, different forms of field notes and field data on the wall. I don't, I can't show you because this is a podcast, but yeah, um, so, right behind us, so right behind us, you can see, you can see cool a whole stuff. wall of like a tapestry of different images and notes and scribbles. Right. Um, and there's like an actual book. So you can actually go and touch. It's got Tristan's badge from where she went and did her field work. And there's, and those um, are her field work notes in that book. Like it's like a journal. Exactly. And we've got some found objects, like there's a postcard, for example, that we found at one of the secondhand stores where we bought our frames, and this, the woman who had written the postcard in the 50s has crossed out the name Mr. Um, by her name and put and put, uh, just put her first name, Yvonne, oh, wow. I think it is. Cool. So it's just an interesting way of exploring the process of doing research and so that we can have a discussion with each other about the process and make that a little bit less intimidating and also be to be mm. self-reflexive um, and get new ideas and have a, an open dialogue about what it is to do ethnography and have it be less about hiding in a cave and writing a dissertation on your own and having it be a bit more collaborative. Right. Um, and so this would be a good time maybe to ask you, so like in terms of ethnography, like I, I had to Wikipedia because I was like, I, I kind of know, but I don't really know and I just like want to know. But and according to the website, um, they talk about participant observation being sort of like a cornerstone, um, mixed qualitative data collection. So interviewing, I guess, is what that would be. And then, but also like you're saying, like art, taking pictures, um, books, recordings, like these are all parts, potential parts of an ethnography. Would, would that be... Yeah, I mean, I think the beautiful thing about ethnography is it allows for a lot of mixing of different qualitative methods. Right. Um, but definitely, like, the nuts and bolts of ethnography has always been engaged participant observation. Yeah. Um, and so... And writing, right? Like and writing. writing and taking field notes. And yeah. I think we sometimes forget to talk about 
field notes and how important they are, but I think that um, that's definitely something we've tried to emphasize here is what are field notes, how can we talk about this more and um, analyze them in different ways. Right. And um, so also they're talking on the website about this being a site of interdisciplinary methodological thinking and we've talked about so we've got there's like a whole bunch of departments who are involved in this and Liz your program is interdisciplinary that's right in that yeah. sense too can you talk a little bit about that program because I'm curious about it okay well um, I'm not the authority on uh, information about this program because I'm just coming in but For the sure. HUMA program is one of the two interdisciplinary degree programs in the university one is the individualized program, mm -hmm. um, which can combine cross-faculty um, uh, supervisation. Okay. Um, but the humanities program is an interdisciplinary program within the humanities specifically. Okay. And... Um, what drew you to the program? Like, what... Uh, I did my master's in um, the anthropology of dance, specifically. That's where I would situate myself. And kind of on the verge of performance studies, but I wouldn't call myself a performance studies scholar. Right. And I found that anthropology could only support me so much in the kind of methods, exactly, the methods that um, I wanted to take with presenting my research mm -hmm. and the knowledge that I gathered from the field and wanted to, and the stories that I wanted to share, right. stories which were not just verbal stories, but were also musical stories and embodied danced gestures yes. and so this master's degree has certain requirements to be fulfilled and it doesn't always allow for a lot of play and especially because they're cutting down the number of pages that you're allowed to write but then you're only really supposed to be writing this master's degree um, right. or a master's thesis um, so it challenged me to really allow the audience to engage with what this this field means and I thought in the kind of things I want to pursue in the future, I need to go somewhere where there are other alternative, there are other opportunities to play in the field and then bring that play back to the institution. And, um, cool. and yeah. it seems like that is kind of what is happening in this lab too, that it's like offering people a place to play and experiment mm -hmm. with things and then bring them back into their own work, right? Like, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Definitely. I think, I think we've had a lot of fun with that because sometimes you just get a little bit bogged down with your research, but you still want to explore some of the ideas you're dealing with theoretically. So, for example, some like making this table, and it sounds mm -hmm. like... Adam, you're going to be interviewing Adam at some point, yes. who has been an integral part of this table and, and taught us all carpentry. And it was just mm -hmm. this really fun, engaging experience for us all to come together and build a space that we could feel good about working together in. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that we were all a part of the process, even some people just spent like half an hour doing a bit of sounding with us. And so right. we're all kind of a part of this table now. And it feel I think that's what's made it a really cooperative workspace and very successful. The fact that we were all, you know, and then Chris brought us to the Eco Depot, which is where we got a lot of the other things. A lot of things were, you know, salvaged or from secondhand stores. And so, um, but the fact that we all collaborated on that, I think, has made it a really unique space where we all want to mm -hmm. get together and talk about even reuse ethnographically um, or as a research method. Amazing. Yeah. And we should say that we are sitting and recording this at this gorgeous <laughs> repurposed wood table. And this is the table that you're talking about that exactly. everybody had a part in creating. The yeah. very shiny table. The very shiny table. Yeah. I love that. It's really cool. So, okay. Well, so maybe, um, you guys could talk a little bit about who can become a member here at the ethnography lab. Well, I think everyone is welcome when when there are events and workshops. So there's mm -hmm. a workshop coming up um, this Friday on what's it called? Emotions and entanglements in the field. So Yay. to register, Hold on, let me make sure please that contact. I, um, you have to say that again because I want to make sure I get it right. Oh yeah, emotions. Can we cut that? Can we sing it? Emotions and entanglements in the field. Yes. Emotions yes. And entanglements <laughs> in the field. <laughs> 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 Can you ask us again about? Um, but what is, what is it called? Sorry, what's the what's the proper name of it? Emotions and entanglements in the field. Oh, that is what it is. Okay, great. And it's a workshop. Here. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So everyone is welcome to come to that. Um, yeah. So. Um, 
please contact Elizabeth if you would like to, to join us for that workshop. Um, graduate students, we have graduate students involved, again, from a range of different disciplines. Yeah. Um, and I particularly love connecting with some of the interdisciplinary grad students we don't mm. normally get to see. Um, so for example, Adam is involved in a lot of philosophy. Mm -hmm. right. um, the, Erica is in, has like, is crossed, crossed with economics even. We have, you know, Pamela Tudge connects with us. She's in food studies and fine arts. Mm -hmm. cool. um, Jessica, for example, is in creative arts therapies. So we have a range of interdisciplinary students. Um, so d definitely grad students, especially for, some people call the indie program, um, the independent program, the loneliness program. So mm -hmm. we especially want to reach out to those <laughs> students who, also because it's just a really nice space to come and work. Absolutely. Um, so we definitely welcome um, all graduate students. There's a lot of us from sociology, anthropology, but from other departments as well. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like, the indie program, you can joke that it's the lonely program, but, like, they all can have the potential to be lonely programs true. sometimes, true. right? Which is so. a big point. Um, I wanted to make a point around that exactly because I feel... Like, we can also be isolated in the drudgery of a particular project, like writing your dissertation or yes. your master's thesis, totally. and doing the editing in a lit review, but then coming together across disciplines or within disciplines on a different project brings a lot of momentum and inspiration back into your body, and that mm -hmm. carries back into the work that you're doing. So you take some time out of your day or out of your week to participate in something that really jazzes you. Right. And there's a feedback loop there. Absolutely. And um, it really, really helps with the other work that we have to do that feels alone. And also because we're doing a lot of that lonely work with other people here. Yes. Um, and we're all kind of like commiserating, and, and but then together. trying not to, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and this is why I was saying like the ethnography lab, maybe I didn't articulate it well, but that the ethnography lab would support your methods and your work because even doing a project that seemingly is unrelated, like you say, mm -hmm. but that you're excited about, it, that, that, that there is that feedback loop. It mm -hmm. transfers back into your own work and you can sort of like use that excitement and channel it into Absolutely. your own projects, which mm -hmm. is like, mm -hmm. I think a really valuable and amazing offshoot of the work that you guys are doing mm -hmm. in the lab here. So hooray for that. Yeah, yeah generally cool. I think it's very energizing and even some of the, so I'm sure you'll be meeting with, the, I call them the truckers, but they actually have a really great name, which is 18 Wheels Ethnography. Um, so I'm sure you'll be meeting with them and with the Cabot mm -hmm. Square group and all of the working groups. But um, I, just to say that, you know, the concern was always, how are you people going to find time to do these extra projects when they have their regular theses? But I think everyone has found it to be really energizing, so that's mm -hmm. nice. Cool. Okay, and so you mentioned the groups. So what is the, what's the deal with all of these groups in the ethnography lab? Right, so the idea at the beginning was to have small working groups that can have small mini ethnographic projects that they carry out and that um, are also a form of um, engaging with the community, the wider community. Right. Um, and just seeing what ethnography has to offer in terms of, you know, for example, looking at compost, which is a project we've talked talked a lot about doing. Um, so there's a lot of research on compost. So what other textures or perspectives can ethnography offer that aren't being explored in the dominant research paradigms or might not be captured by all the quantitative data about waste? Right. Um, so for example, I live in a I'm, I'm talking about Machu's research topic a little bit too much because he's doing this first thesis now, but I live in an area with a lot of elderly people where there's composting, and so some of them have different um, perspectives on composting because my neighbors come from a rural community where they've composted all their lives, but they're not used to putting it in this brown bin. So it'd be really interesting to interview um, different people and see how they interact with compost, for example. Um, but again, the composting project hasn't quite kicked off yet, but hopefully that'll be a new project. Yeah. Um, but the, for example, for example, the 18 Wheels Ethnography Group is doing an amazing project where they're already interviewing women truckers about um, gender in the trucking industry and, and looking at it through different inventive methods and the perspective of uh, material vitality. So it'll be an, a really fascinating project. I'm really excited to see where they go with it. Very cool. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to them about that too. Um, so are you, are we talked about um, the in emotional entanglements in the field. Are there any yes. other events coming up that we should know about uh, in the lab? Anything? Well, actually, uh, this summer in June is the International Visual Sociology Association. One of the professors um, who works with us from the Department of Education, Maria Carolina, is one of the organizers. Um, and so 
Um, we are going to be hosting a whole panel in the lab, and which we're very excited about. Mm -hmm. And we've got um, a series of presentations about making ethnography and remaking ethnography. So we're going to talk about the making of this table, for example, mm -hmm. about the making of our living gallery, um, and this, again, this whole process of, of, of being honest about the, the, the process of making field notes and, and looking for more feedback throughout that process. Um, Jessica and I are going to do a presentation about, um, about a reuse method that we created in the class I did with John oh, yeah, on inventive right. methods. In qualitative methods class, right. And Pamela Tudge is going to do, she works with issues of food waste okay. um, and reuse. And so she's going to be doing a presentation as well. And it's a way to invite people into our space who are coming from all over the world and, and looking yeah. at visual sociology from a variety of perspectives. Fantastic. So we're very excited about that. Well, and when is that? Sorry, do, do you know the dates for that? It is June 20-something, June 20-something. Well, you know what? We will maybe, we'll link. June 19th to 22nd. Perfect. There we go. If you Amazing. Google IVSA yeah. 2017, yeah. you will yeah. find all of the information you need. Okay, terrific. Yeah. Um, and how can people get in touch with um, you guys here at the Ethnography Lab? Is there an email address or... They can just Google Ethnography Lab and find out where you guys are. <laughs> it is concordia.ethnography at gmail.com. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Fantastic. Amazing. Yeah, and you can also visit our website, ethnographylabconcordia.ca. Right. Yeah, I was on it this morning. So, yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful website. So go check it out, Why, everybody. thank you. Yes. Um, well, thank you both. Thanks, thank you. And thanks, Ariana, for being my first guests. Yay, we're breaking and it in. I would just like to congratulate John for being an awesome host. Yes. Thank you so and much. And to Anne-Marie and Chris for <laughs> yeah. all of their technical know-how and amazing organizational skills uh, for bringing this all together. Thank you. Thanks, Ariana. We appreciate that. And we will be right back. And actually, speaking of the 18-wheel ethnography group, we are going to be talking to them next. So stay tuned for Cheda and Gabriel coming right up. And that was Apocalypse Trees by the Snipes, who are the band of Adam Van Sertema, who is a PhD student in the interdisciplinary program here at Concordia University. So thanks, Adam, for that super fun tune. And coming up next, I will be talking to uh, one of the research groups here at the Ethnography Lab, the 18-wheeler trucking group. So stay tuned for that. We're 
here in the ethnography lab right now, and I'm joined by two lovely guests. I have Gabrielle Lavenir and Cheda Yolgormes, uh, both of whom are PhD students in the social and cultural analysis program here at Concordia. Um, Gabrielle looks at silver gamers or older people who play video games and the intersection of aging and play, and Cheda is looking at, well, previously, now tell me if I'm right, looked at development of common sense and virtual worlds and specifically World of Warcraft, right? Which True, yeah. I want to hear more about that. Yeah. But, and then now looking at questions of machine agency in the context of artificial intelligence labs. And both of them are part of the trucking research group here at uh, the Ethnography Lab. So welcome, you guys. Hi. Hi. Thanks Thank for you. being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, so um, tell me a little bit about this trucking research group. What's it all about? Um, so... I guess it all started when we had these ethnography lab meetings uh, that were just about, hey, let's get these people together and hope that people do work along. Mm -hmm. And we were, we made a group who were interested in technology and questions around surveillance. And Adam brought up this idea of um, trucking research, like mm -hmm. doing research on truckers because trucking culture is like a really uh, interesting one, highly masculinized and um, highly understudied too, really, mm -hmm. like in, in terms of like having an in-depth context into what is happening in the, in the culture. So that was like an interesting question and we sort of felt like that was distant enough from our thesis topics to keep <laughs> us, you know, occupied and like, you know, healthy and sane. Yeah. Uh, so we just jumped in. And I don't have much to add to our principal investigator's work. <laughs> well, I feel oh, wait, really so Cheda, you're the principal investigator on this project? Yeah, that's, okay. yeah. So that's basically a name, but like, yeah, I'm just trying to keep everyone coordinated, but right. like we're all doing, like we're all sharing the work that we have to do. And it's like, it's a great teamwork too. I was always skeptical about having teamworks really, but yeah. luckily I have the best teammates ever. We are like Aww. sharing everything and like doing everything properly. No one is getting bogged down or just getting dragged or anything. Nice. So it's really great. It's really nice to be with people who are responsible. You know, ethnography lab is turning out to be I don't know, a jewel maybe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems like it for sure. So who are the other people on the team besides the two of you? Uh, Adam Lansortiva yep. and um, Carmen Lamoth. Okay. Is that true? I don't know I, her I last name. Names. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's true though. Yeah, yeah. sounds right. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, cool. And so was it important for you guys to like come up with a project where it was far away from the work that you're doing in your... Yes, and we've had not problems with it, but we've been working in the ethics application, and it came back to us with a big note saying, um, whose thesis topic is this? Uh, you oh. have to make it clear. And we're like, it's no one's thesis. We're just like working on this for fun. And we got a lot of um, uh, unconvinced notes about, okay, who are you really working for? Oh, did, so yeah. they knew that you were working for the ethnography lab. Yep, it was written down and everything, but they still were a bit wary of, like, they must not be used to people really working on random projects for fun. Right. It, it was quite fun to try to explain in the notes, no, it's, it's no one's, no, we're being irresponsible and not working on our thesis, we swear. It's our thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Huh, isn't that funny? Yeah. Those yeah. ethics people. Uh, strange. No. <laughs> Yeah. It stops being funny after a while, but yeah. Yeah, it's true. So you've had, have you only had to do one round of revisions on it? Because you have ethics approval now, right? No. 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 We're still oh. waiting. We're like waiting. stalling with the people who we want to interview, being like, yeah. we're sorry, but we have. And plus, neither of us have ever worked with ethics application thingy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not it's not that much of a deal in Europe. I no. mean, if if you are working with really um, like. Um, groups who are vulnerable, yeah, you have to go through ethics. Yeah. But if mm. you're working with regular humans, that's not a problem. <laughs> Usually, yeah, yeah, I know. Right, and I can't imagine for a project like this that there would be like a really high risk of of your participants. Or yeah. I can't imagine that there would be risk to your participants in a project. Uh, we have trouble like finding this. them. We have to fill in the blanks, and we have to. They ask us to give risk, and we're like, we don't know. Like, 
Yeah. They, maybe they will be sad. Maybe they won't <laughs> like us. But that's as risky as it gets. And so it's yeah. Yeah. a weird exercise when you've never done it before. Yeah, that yeah. too. To write 17 pages on the subject of... I mean, it's good to have this kind of space to reflect on mm. the you know subject object kind of relationship where you kind of get entangled with the um, with the potential participants in a theoretical uh, realm but other than that it's just it's just a bit of a drag especially when you're not working with like you know exciting populations really right so who are these participants like do you know a bunch of truckers <laughs> um we're we're looking for truckers. Yeah, if oh. you know, if anyone knows truckers, yep. let us know. Calling out for truckers, yep. please. Um, so no. Um, well, basically, we know truckers, but we don't know women truckers, and we actually wanted to focus on women truckers, right? Um, because they're like they're making the they're making only three percent of the trucker workforce right now in Canada, so they're like um, rare. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to get across people, um, but luckily we have had some connections and Gabriel okay. can maybe... Oh, uh, yeah, like Anne-Marie who's sitting right there behind mm -hmm. the camera. Hi, Anne-Marie. You know someone from, was it elementary school? How far? Yeah. Who is a trucker and a oh, woman. Oh, you know somebody. So, yep. Amazing. So there's... One person. There's yeah. one person. Yeah. And then we got a phone call a couple of days ago. Exactly. Like we put up ads at a trucker, um, I don't know, like trucking company. And then this woman called us and she said like she's really passionate about driving and she's really passionate about her job. And we were so thrilled to have her because I was a bit, you know, I was a bit, I don't know, pessimistic about advertising right. because, yeah. I mean, people have to call. It's like an extra yeah. action in their lives that they don't necessarily have to take. But this woman did, and it's like, yeah, we're, I'm super excited to get the ethics yeah. form and get to get to feel. Like, I keep having to send emails like, ah, yeah. you don't have it yet, I'm really sorry, can yeah. we push, push it back another week? Yeah. So wait, that. how did you, you, you put up a, one of the posters in a at a trucking company? Is that how that worked? Um, yes. And then she called. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, basically, well, we actually wanted to put ads in truck stops. Yeah. Um, because that's like ba basically a socialization space. Um, right. Another, yet another socialization space for truckers. Um, but apparently they didn't allow ads. So we kind of sneaked a couple of them in, but um, they weren't visible enough. So we went to this trucking company where um, they, yeah, they just do transportation business in general. Mm. Um, and we put up our ads, and Adam made these great posters that are just so attractive and so, you know, yeah, they're just so yeah, good to look great. at. Yeah, they're just an eye grabber. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they um, we we hanged them on the walls, and um, this sweet lady helped us with that uh, who worked there. So, yeah, that's they're amazing. Real, yeah, I feel like that's something in like I'm always pessimistic also about people wanting to. <laughs> participate in my research I'm always like oh it's labor and I'm not paying them especially like I'm a master's student so mm -hmm. I don't have money to give anybody so I'm always worried about that but and then it always surprises me but I think people are you know people want to talk about their lives especially exactly. when it's like something like you know where you're three percent of the population you're a woman truck driver and you know that that's a story that we don't hear a lot. I'm sure that's something that it, it's appealing to think, oh, well, I can share this, and it's a story that needs to be told and heard. So, and The nice thing is our premise was uh, we want to give people an opportunity to be heard and seen, but, you mm -hmm. know, often that's like academic... Um, can I say bullshit on air? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's usually I can make bullshit about oh look at how important my studio is. Right. But here we actually end up seeing that people want to be heard. People yes. want to talk to us, which is nice because we feel a bit more useful. Yeah. For sure. Okay, so that's a, a this is a good spot for me to ask you what how are they telling their stories? How is this like what what's sort of the the method that you guys are using? Yeah, so we are going to try something that we have termed object-oriented storytelling. Okay. So this <laughs> is like an amazing idea that traveled from Ariana Solis through Gabrielle and to our group. Okay. Um, Say it again. Object. Object-oriented storytelling. Object-oriented storytelling. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, I'm sure Got there it. are examples of it, um, but right. we couldn't find a coherent like um, name for it, so okay. we just kind of came up with the with the name. But what it's about is basically we are asking the participants to bring an object uh, with them to the interview and we will ask them to talk about the object and come up with the stories behind the object and sort of use the object as a centerpiece where they can develop their narrative. Right. Um, and we are what we're trying to do is we're trying to tie in the discourse with the, with the matter. Okay. And... We are trying to close that gap between, you know, materiality and the um, and the linguistic part. Right. In this sense, so yeah, it's. But of course, like we're gonna try it. We'll see how it works out, and we will be back with a workshop on how to do it. And if it is like, should people, you know, watch out for stuff when yeah. they're doing it, when they're conducting it? But it's like a really, really exciting opportunity, and it's one Absolutely. of the good things about Ethnolab too, right? I mean, coming up with these experimental methods. Yes. Yeah, it's really, really exciting. It's super exciting. Yeah. I love it. And so, and and like open-ended, any kind of object. Or do you have, are you sort of like giving people guidelines or how's well, that working? We also tied with the idea of, it may be something we do on top of everything else. Mm. We also tied with the idea of asking them to bring pictures and especially pictures of the truck and the truck cabin. Okay. Because it's a place where according to the bit of literature review we did, people put really personal stuff. Right. Because people live in there it's for days home. at a time. Yeah. yeah. So that might be a direction for our research and otherwise and I think we're gonna see how it goes like we're, we're gonna uh, the first person is really gonna be <laughs> a, a bit subject. of a sub yeah just yeah. an experimental subject for us yeah but that is really that is super cool and the exciting part about this ethnography lab is that you guys like there's freedom to sort of develop these methods which you might not otherwise get an opportunity to do in a more conventional sort of like this is my field work for a master's or a PhD, right? Yeah, exactly. This is why it's so exciting too. Yeah, I yeah. love that. There's like the safe spot where we can just sort of carry out this wacky, crazy, whatever. Right, know. and who knows, you know, who knows how it's going to go, but you, the yeah, fact that you can just tr do it and see what sticks. You exactly, know? exactly. And even like at a more um, basic level, we're in PhD program, so we're not supposed to be on the field right away. Right. And like, I know it's been hard for me to not be on the field because when I was in my master's, we had, since we don't have to apply for ethics, yeah. we could just go on a field trip for like a couple of days or... Wait, you didn't have to apply for ethics in your master's degree? Never, no, we don't have it. There, there, it has been discussed, but in my country it doesn't exist. In France? Except for, yeah, except for medical research. Okay, right, obviously, yeah. yeah. Um, and so here, like, I've been doing stuff on my own, but I can't use it for my research. And, like, being able to actually go on the field and do proper field work and talk to actual people and not stay stuck behind the computer screen for yes. two years is, like, amazing. It's great. Yes. It's not easy to get there. And right. Yeah, because it can, yeah, it's, it can be isolating yeah. in yeah. academia, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's, yeah, it's a place to be isolated, <laughs> indeed. Together. Yeah. Next together, to each yeah, other. next yep. to each other. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so you can come back then when you've done this field work and plug the workshop and tell us all about it. We would love to have you. Yeah, that's the again. that's the basic idea. Yeah. And so, is there going to be like a visual component with these objects, or is it just going to be part of the interview process? Have you thought about that? Um, well, we are going to take pictures of the object too, yeah, and like object is going to be, like I said, like the centerpiece of the conversation or like the interview, so yeah, we're going to have that, like we're going to tap into the materiality of it uh, visually mainly, of course, and narratively too, um, so yeah, but now... Of course, like coming, like now we are kind of switching into deliverables. That what what will come out from this research is, um, we are trying, we will try to m make reports that are highly accessible to regular audiences. We are not only going to, you know, make a highly academic report of it and right. just publish it in the journals where you know only scholars will read. Yeah, uh, we are trying to. I don't know, create avenues where maybe these subjects could also find other 
uh, could maybe utilize these tools to, I don't know, construct their own communities, find right. places where they can connect with each other. So in that sense, yeah, there's going to be like, we are going to rely highly on visuals and sound too, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, and we are, we are thinking sound of... Sound in, in what way, sound? It's a bit up in the air. We yeah. don't that's, know. that's also the nice thing about that kind of r relatively quick field work is that in many circumstances, we're pushed to put a lot of theory into whatever we're doing on the field. Right. And the nice thing about what we're doing is we're just, we can skip that whole overthinking part. Yeah. Like, that's, I, I know it's also my, um, the academic tradition of the place I studied in before. Sure, sure. But uh, it's also refreshing to not have to uh, read tons of books about how you're supposed to ask questions to people. Like we all have right. some kind of experience with ethnography and right, we just want to go and trust the people we're talking to and working with because I really, I think we all think that they're going to have better ideas than we we could yeah, ever yeah. hope to have. Exactly. True. So, yeah. Well, we're, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we don't have to, like, we are, we are going to make analysis of, of course, our findings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But this is more of an avenue where we can, where we will focus more on how to bring this sub, the voice of the subject more integrated into the research. Right. It sounds pretty collaborative in yeah. terms of you as researchers and your yeah. and your participants. Exactly, that's it. Yeah, that's one of the aims mm -hmm. of the of this project too. So then what what do you sort of know coming into this like I mean uh, like about truck drivers like in terms of like what's already out there is there much is there like is it all about men I would assume so. Um well, there is much about there actually. It's not it's not that few, but like um but of course, like of usually, not the studies have focused on the um, on being more descriptive of the field, and of course, usually focus on the male truck drivers right. because they're more uh, accessible and they make the majority and they make the hegemonic voice of the um, of the crowd. Yeah. Um, for women truck drivers, there are res there is research on that. I mean, um, but still, it's not. I mean, the, the research aren't that much um, elaborate yeah. on the subject and usually a bit more market-driven too, actually, yeah. because... In, how, in what way, what do you mean? Um, because women truck drivers are like, like I said, like they're, they're a minority in the field. Um, they are actually now becoming the target group for diversification of the trucker workforce. Okay. Um, so there are a lot of associations for women truck drivers that are focusing on like HR, like improving HR capacities. Right. So they're making research into how to, you know, how, how they can invite more women truck drivers into, into their, um, into the workforce. Gotcha. And that, in that sense, it's market driven. Yeah. And even in the, like when, when you look at stuff about uh, the default Tracker, which is a man, uh, it's also very market or at least policy driven because it's a field that has had so much trouble. Like the reforms of the trucking industry are really hard to implement. Right. And it's really, it's a mess. The working conditions are awful. So mm -hmm. most of the papers and books about truckers are about how terrible their working work life is. Yeah. And it's uh, targeted towards policymakers, it often lists suggestions and, and like stuff that could be done to improve a bit a lot of the truck right. drivers. Mm -hmm. So so you guys are sort of forging your territory with this because it's about the experiences and lives of truckers on the road, just not not strictly the working conditions or those market aspects, but you want to know sort of the, the larger context of what their lives are, right, are it, like. Is that fair? Yeah, true, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll yeah, that's, that's what ethnography yeah. is about too, right? I mean, getting right. the more, you know, the the nuances, the the more subtleties of yeah. the of the field. But yeah, and like you said, like it's often very descriptive, and those studies are scattered over a number of countries and and moments in history. So right. the challenge is to make it not only like a portrait of 
tracking in Canada in 2017. Mm -hmm. It's uh, to give some sort of vibe of an atmosphere. It's almost literary in that sense. Right. Um, because otherwise we can spend like pages explaining how the wages work and what the laws are, and that's not what we want to do. No, because it's done. <laughs> like it's yeah, been it's, done before. Yeah. And, you can and we want to do <laughs> something else. Yeah. So that's the focus on stories and objects exactly. rather than. A portrait of the field. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Okay, well, this is another good segue because I wanted to ask you both, um, moving away from your project, so we're in the ethnography lab right now, and one of the questions, and Marie and our other producer, Chris, and I have been having is, what is the ethnography lab? And for me, too, uh, what is ethnography? I wikipedia it the other day because I was like, I need to have somebody explain this to me really simply, but I wanted, I'm curious what you're ideas about that are. You're asking what ethnography is? Or? Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> and next you're going to ask us what the difference between sociology and anthropology is? Maybe. <laughs> I'm, I'm out, okay? <laughs> you can take this. Well, you alluded to, yeah, to it, Yeah, but like, yeah, I mean, uh, this is a question that I've been having for like a, the last couple of years too, because my master's project was also like an ethnography mm. project, but mm -hmm. I'm not so sure what ethnography really means, but this is what happens when you just get so much involvement with a term, I think, right? They yes. just lose their meaning. Maybe this is a blockage that we're having here. Um, but for me, I think ethnography means, um, ethnography is probably in a, an amalgam of different practices of data gathering Okay. Um, that involve active participation of the researcher into mm -hmm. the, into the field that they're observing mm -hmm. and so yeah that's based that would basically be it and of course writing it up is also like a huge right. part of ethnography yes. like how you write how you mm -hmm. integrate your experiences so there's like this phenomenological uh, dimension to it that no. that requires articulation i think yeah, yeah. Gabrielle, yeah. you want to take a stab at it? I mean, that's, yeah. that also, I think that was, that sounded like a really great answer to me. Yeah. Wow, like, oh, nice. Okay. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. I think I got it. <laughs> like, you know what ethnography is. That's cool. clear to me. That's why yeah, I'm, I'm not, know. yeah, I'm not going to answer what is ethnography because you just did mm -hmm. amazingly. And I know, like, uh, ethnography to me is, mm -hmm. is kind of a different thing because I have this um, allergy to theory. Like I'm, I'm really <laughs> uh, suspicious. Of, yeah, suspicious of lots of stuff that has big words in it. Right. Uh, which can be traced back to my personal history with philosophy, I guess. But uh, that's another subject. What I like about the fact that it's really hard to define ethnography is mm -hmm. precisely it escapes definition. You just know when you're doing it. Right. It's like love. Right, like, right, yes. Wow. Yeah. And That's I really deep. enjoy just going and talking to people and having a pretense of a professional behavior. Yeah. And really, I'm just like running after people and asking them questions because I'm really super curious about how other people live. And yeah. you still have to think about it because it has lots of ethical implications and yeah. everything. Yeah. But just spontaneously, it's just talking to people and recording it so that you can remember it better afterwards. And yep. then you also get paid sometimes to do it, mm. which is nice. <laughs> yeah. That's the so. holy grail. Yeah. And also, it's useless. Like, it, no, you know, in the big yeah. scheme of things, it's right. useful. But mostly, you're not coming with questions that you would ask at a job interview. You're not asking right. people. You're just hoping for the most random things to yep. come up for nice, funny anecdotes and right. stories. And I love the... The contrast between what you actually do when you're an ethnographer and what, like, say, a journalist does. Yeah. Because they do something really useful, which is get answers to specific questions that everybody's wondering about. Right. We don't. We're just random, not even storytellers. We're just random people throwing microphones. It's nice. It's <laughs> yeah, useless. Yeah, hoping for that magic to kind of, like, yeah. materialize yeah. While in the, in the yeah. field. Cool. I would like to hear about... Uh, your own your own research because we talked about that a little bit um, we talked about sort of the so um, if you want to just do a little plug for what you guys are up to I know that you're doing stuff about artificial intelligence um, an art, an agency with machines right which is interesting to me I'm, I'm curious if that sort of if that fits in the world of this debate around structure versus agency that we mm -hmm. often have mm -hmm. in the social sciences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, do, can machines carve out their own agency even though they've been programmed 
by humans to do certain things? Uh-huh. Well, I mean, right now I'm in the, yeah, this is a difficult one because like I'm a first year PhD and I'm mm-hmm. like, I have no idea what I'm doing right, right. now. Yeah, hey. <laughs> um, but <Preach>. basically, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't get better. Yeah. But basically, yeah, I'm interested in this question because like when I look at the world, I think what I see is like um, a semi-differentiated connectivity between things and these things include humans and non-humans too. And, and, but, and stuff are happening in the world in terms of like actions or practices and I always kind of wonder what's the place of these non-living organisms that, like, what is the potential that they're bringing into into the world? Absolutely. And this is a question that is that often escapes sociology. And well, I have a problem with sociology's, you know, general ways of doing things too. Um, so. For me, the basic idea is to move beyond this human subject that has been the center f- central focus for sociology for a long time. Like you said, like the structure agency kind of dilemma, right? And sort of move away from that and come up with a with a with new possibilities to think about and talk about whatever is happening around in the, in the under the domain of what we call social or like social natural or like you know the material plane that we are sort of enmeshed in mm-hmm. and in this sense like I'm like of course like the language already makes itself obvious I'm a bit you know following Latour okay. uh, in his actor network theory and okay. um, so I think that if sociology focuses more on these non-human actors and try to problematize what agency means by taking by taking their focus on these on these um Actants, I think maybe sociology can move beyond these age-old dilemmas and dualisms that have been basically poisoning it for the longest time now. Right, right. So yeah, that's like that's like my ethical project, maybe like saving <laughs> sociology, which sounds like really narcissistic. Like, who am I to save sociology? Well, maybe the <laughs> idea of sociology that I have, and I want to just you know make it a bit more yeah. capable, and you know, yeah. I think that's it. For once, it would be a sociologist who saves sociology, which is a nice change. <laughs> but I think all most sociologists try that and fail. Mm. So, like, I think I'm probably down that path. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, my hopes aren't up. It's just, like, you know, just a quest. Yeah. Just an adventure, yeah. Great. Yeah. Do, you, do you want to talk about your research a little bit, Gabriel? You don't have to. <laughs> I'm not going to force That's you. That's like a tricky question to but ask like, a PhD student. Of it is, course it I is, want to talk right, about You're right, you're right. It's maybe not a, it's kind of an ambush question a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, what are you doing these days in your PhD? Okay, I'm going to switch back to the first question. Okay. Uh, because the second one is one I really don't want to answer right now. Okay, yeah, fair enough. But, um, so, I'm working... I did my master's on the same subject. It yeah. was in ethnography, it was in a um, workshop in a cultural center in Paris. Yeah. It was tailored for people over 60 to come and try different video games. Yeah. Um, it really was, my master's thesis was really close to the field. Um, and now I'm trying to expand a little bit. Uh, and my, I guess my focus are the discrepancies between the discourses on silver gamers, especially in the media, like in the press and on television and online, you have like is there like a really dominant discourse that sort of yeah that oh, what would, what is it? Uh, <laughs> it's something about how first it's really cute that older people would play video right. games, which is infuriating, and then yeah. it's about how it's good for them because then they're more healthy, and then they can spend time with the grandkids, right. and then they can consume more, and then it's how, how video games make older people better yes. for society, and not only is that really interesting in a neoliberal context, because you can see how the imperative to be productive uh, goes into every single corner, including aging and play, which are two things that are traditionally really away from the imperative of productivity. And also, um, you get to see how different discourses and practices are, Mm -hmm. um, which is one of the things I really enjoy about sociology. It's not only do you not trust discourses, but you get the chance to see how they apply or do not apply to people's lives. 
and you get to see the heterogeneity of, of people over 60 who play games, like you have all kinds of profiles. Yeah. And also I want to see, and that's kind of the third point and where discourses and practices intersect, uh, kind of want to see how older adults who play video games react to that discourse. If they embrace it, resist it, uh, refuse to admit they're playing video games, um, are hiding it from people around them, it's something that's been documented. Like when you're over 60 and you play the Game Boy, you tend to hide it in your um, right. toilets because you don't want anyone else to see it. Because, <laughs> yeah. Plus you, you get lots of amazing anecdotes about how even like people you wouldn't expect to play video games, yeah. because I'm as susceptible as anyone right. about the stereotypes of gamers, Yes. Uh, how people who you wouldn't expect to play video games are actually quite proficient at both playing them and yeah. managing their playing, making it more or less visible, more or less acceptable, adapting it to the audience they're talking to. Mm. It's, people are really amazing. That's yeah. where I'm going, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we definitely have one sort of idea mm. of who plays video games. <laughs> or not one, but a sort of dominant idea of who plays video games. And until now, we've looked a lot, not a lot, not enough, but well, at gender, mm -hmm. and we're starting starting to little bit about uh, look a little bit at race, and then there's mm. social class that's coming up too. Right. Age is a far distant competitor in the big field of the intersectionality of gaming. Right, yeah. right. But ageism is making like a yeah, a big yeah, a big, yeah. There, you, there's money. But they want me to say that gaming is amazing for older people and I'm saying that no and anyway nobody cares. Yeah. So like yeah. I'm not sure how I'm gonna get the money. That's true. Yep. Maybe yeah. My it's, it's always being trick, threatened, right? yeah. yeah. You just give them the keywords and hope that they don't look over the abstract that yeah. detail. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give me all the money. Yep. All right, well, thank you, you guys. I think we can wrap it up here. And uh, thanks so much. I, it's been really great because, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out this whole ethnography lab thing and hearing about your project, I think just hearing about it has given me a greater sense of what is happening in this lab. So thanks so much yeah. for sharing that with me. Yeah. It's great. Thank you for having us. This yes. is great. Yeah. Yeah. So, thank you. That was Gabrielle Lavenier and Cheda Yogarmez talking to us about the Trucking Research Group. Thank you so much for that. All right, well, coming up next, we have a little segment we like to call Conference Corner. Conference, uh, Conference Corner, uh, which is sort of a roving reporter bit where we are going to go around to student conferences and talk to people about their experiences at the conference, sort of a post-panel scrum. So up first, we were at the Sociology and Anthropology Graduate Students Association Conference at the end of March. It was called the Boldly Go. And here we have Chris Millett and Adam Van Sertema talking to people about their experiences at the conference. Sandra from the sociology department and we're just wondering if you had a few thoughts on the talk on space law and Mars exploration that uh, is the keynote address of the SAGSA conference. Hmm. Well, as I was saying to Guillaume and to Danielle, I think that the topic is very interesting. Uh, I think it's a needed one. And the fact that we are thinking about it as sociologists and anthropologists is also, I think, a demonstration that we're not only um, we're not only focusing on traditional objects of sociology. And at the same time, uh, my only, I guess, the, the only thing that I, I wish we could have been talking a little bit more is the actual approaches to think um, differently in order to create this change that we've been talking about so much. Right. And uh, we also have Guillaume here from uh, the PhD program. Would you like to, to chime in as well on this? Um, sure. Well, I agree with what, um, what Sandra just said, but, um, I think, um, as I was, I was, as I, as I was saying earlier, I think it's very, 
um, the 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 discussion on these topics is often very limited is is a limited to a very select number of people yes. uh, mostly uh, men from uh, stem discipline science technology engineering yeah. uh, disciplines and um, it's it's extremely important to broaden this discussion and include um, critical perspectives um, to make sure that those who think about these things are not only the people who dream who dream about exploring space and exploring other planets which which might be a, a very uh, fulfilling and interesting dream but we also have to include the perspectives of those who who are more um, uh, afraid or frightened by afraid. this perspective mm -hmm. perspectives no, that, that I agree with what he's saying. Yes. I suppose I that to some degree that is the point of this conference. I know I'm, I'm mm -hmm. moderating a panel on gender and feminism this afternoon that I'm hoping is going to kind of blow up some of the framing around the discussion mm -hmm. that's that's it's actually hap still happening right now. Where we're in the uh, <laughs> interview room. It's always happening. Uh, it's always happening. <laughs> Hi, and so what's your name? James. James, um, what did you think of the conference? What did you think of the uh, panel we just saw? Uh, I thought it was great. I, I thought um, it's really like a modern talk. So really, where does humanity's fate lie in the future? Which I thought was super interesting. Um, most of the, the the stuff I go to on campus is more about like the present, like sustainability. What can we do now? Or stuff in the past. So let's say like uh, history of colonization and all that. So it's very interesting looking into the future for change. Fantastic. Is that and how does how does this relate to your own research? Um, well, it doesn't relate to anything I'm doing right now. But I think just after this conference is something I would like to do in the future. Uh, especially the post-humanism, like what does it mean? As we're just introducing more robots or as we're becoming more machine-like, I'm interested in how that changes our relationships between human beings and also what it means for humanity in general. Can I give your name? Yeah, my name's Demi. Hi, Demi. Um, what's your take on this, this the, the panel that you just did? It's really hard to imagine the future. And whatever we will imagine, um, will probably not happen. Something else will happen. And we need backup. And so the reason why I said applied anthropology is really important, it's not just applied anthropology, it's applied social, social sciences. And we need to work together as a team um, in order to figure out what the people want, what works, what doesn't work, and to have all the information in front of us to properly assess where are we going next. And it can't be coming just from the business side. It can't just be coming from laws. It can't just be coming from Elon Musk because they're missing all these important things that we are able to to pay attention to that they often miss, miss out on. And so when I was bringing up the idea of a application, it's, um, it's not just to rush into and just protest without having any information in front of us. It's doing the research, coming up with the ideas, looking at them, and then properly assessing as a team as an interdisciplinary team involving the people on Earth, what are, what are we what are we doing next? I felt like it went very well um, with Gabrielle's presentation. I didn't know that it would be so connected because she also talked about the themes of honor and um, what <laughs> and uh, exchange of women specifically, which I thought was very interesting. So yeah, and. Uh, I wasn't sure I would be able to respond to questions, but I'm glad most of them got to, <laughs> were directed towards Gabrielle, but I hopefully was able to answer questions well enough for people. Yeah. That's great. Thank you, Mona. So, um, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. My name is Sandra Cayo. Hi, Sandra. And uh, I'm doing a master here in sociology. And about the conference, I guess I'm really happy because the top, well, the theme allows us to bring topics that uh, allow us to be creative with our ways to see the world and just the last panel on feminism seeing the 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 i guess the 
script analysis of how gender is being represented and uh, the characters, the roles that you give to different like individuals, which could be a reflection of society or a fantasy that we would like to be um, observed in in reality. In some ways, I think is very interesting because it's it's new and it just I don't know. I, I really enjoy that and also um, the topic about. Uh, virgin imperative uh, as a woman I can understand and then I think it's also interesting to be able to relate to the issues and even though we don't relate like just engage in it and be curious about it so I think that that this this conference this year is actually uh, encouraging curiosity um, challenging our own positions and uh, creativity uh, which I think are all good components of the intellectual work that we're doing here so um Just saying bravo to everybody who participated and, and I, I can't wait to hear the other panels and yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I wanted to say. Thank you very much. Welcome, welcome. Are you a student here, professor? Like... Well, thanks everybody for tuning in to this, our first episode. It's been so great to chat with you and have you be a part of this with me. Um, I also want to say thank you to Cheryl Yogormez, Gabriel Lavnir, Adam Van Sertema and the Snipes, Elizabeth White, and Ariana Solis, who is still with me. And um, Ariana is going to help me because there's some people we would like to thank in association with the Ethnography Lab. So. Yes, well, we would especially like to thank the Concordia Center for Interdisciplinary Studies in Society and Culture, or CISC, uh, and all of the departments that are involved. So that includes the Department of Education, Sociology and Anthropology, the Center for Engineering and Society, the Department of Geography, Planning and Environment, <laughs> Design and Computational Arts, as well as Political Science, Communication, Creative Arts Therapy, and Art Education. So thank, thank you, you guys. Yes, we love you, and thank you for your support in making this project happen, the Ethnography Lab and happen. And the Milu Institute, where we are hosted, and the Speculative Life Cluster, for which we are a part. Yes, thank you to you guys, too. We couldn't do this without you, and we really appreciate all of your support. I'm joined here, as always, with Chris Millet and Anne-Marie Turcotte, and I am Johnny <laughs> B. <laughs> Say goodbye, everybody. I'm Johnny B, and thank you for listening to our first episode of Best Concordia. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>